following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. For those of you that are guests, my name is Ellis. I'm one of the pastors here and grateful to have you with us this morning. Um, on your way in, you should have received our ministry guide in a printed form. Uh, we would love for you to be able to use that as a resource, um, everything from order of worship to some basics for our guests, um, as well as the bottom card is perforated so that you actually can tear that off and leave that in one of our offering boxes if you like and share information, request prayer, share need, um, sign up for some classes. It's all that information is on that ministry guide. We'd love for you to do that. But I also want to draw your attention back. We're going to start pushing this a little bit more. Um, we have an app, a church app, um, and we have not been utilizing it to its fullest potential. And we're going to try to do that a little bit more, uh, especially starting up in January. I believe almost all of you have smartphones. Some of you um, don't, but uh, that's okay. You can make sure that you share your email address with us um, on that connection card, and we'll try to get information out to you or through the website, through social media. But uh, the app is really important. We're going to be uh, sending out a lot of information this week and next week as we prepare for our prayer week. So our app is both for the Android and iPhone platforms, so um, please make sure you have that. You can set up your push notifications to not be a, no a nuisance. We will try not to do that to you. If you feel like it's a nuisance, you can let us know. And we'll tell you if others are in agreement with you or not, um, and uh, and we will do our best. But it is important um, because starting next Tuesday, which um, is January the 21st, we're going to start gathering together twice a day, 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Um, for our prayer week, and we're calling it "Praying Unafraid." Um, about 1991, one of my closest high school friends gave me this book. Um, so it's, I would probably say it's been one of the most influential books in my life because it's been the book that I've had in my life as an adult more than any other book outside of the Bible. And it's a book called Prayer by Richard Foster. And he actually says this. This is the opening paragraph of chapter 1. So let me read this to you. We today yearn for prayer and hide from prayer. We are attracted to it and repelled by it. We believe prayer is something we should do, even something we want to do, but it seems like a chasm stands between us and actually praying. We experience the, what he calls the agony of prayerlessness. We are not quite sure what holds us back. This week of prayer week, we are going to try to identify some of those chasms, some of those things that make us afraid. Even like this morning when um, Blake and Olivia and our worship team challenged us, even just to call out thankfulness or call out things. There's, there's the, the tension between when do I just say it inside my mind knowing God can hear it? When do I actually engage my mouth? When do I engage my body in prayer? And how do I pray? And what should I say? And what do I do? And when do I do it? And there's so many things that stand up against us and I believe that a lot of it has to do with the evil one really wanting to silence us from being in a conversation with God because God speaks to us and we can hear him. 
And that's what prayer is all about, us talking with him. And so every day in the morning, we're going to have a prayer liturgy, 7 o'clock in the morning, 7.30 and 8 o'clock. It'll repeat every half hour. So those of you that are on your way to work, you can come in, spend some time with us. We would love for, the, uh, for you to be a part of that. Um, and then every night we'll start at, at 7 and hopefully um, be done with uh, our organized time by 9. But obviously some of you need prayer. We'll be here longer than that if necessary but would love for you to be a part of this six days with us. We are going to end prayer week with a celebration on Sunday morning. We're going to have a special time on that 26th here in this hour where we're going to sing and pray and put to practice, put into effort what we've been practicing all week. And so I want you to be a part of that special Sunday morning. And then Sunday night, we're going to be having a special international dinner um, to kind of break fast. For those of you that have been fasting through the prayer week and all that. We're going to have a special time. You'll hear more about that through some of the posts we'll do this week as well as announcements next Sunday. But we're hoping we have a lot of different nations represented. So we're going to try to have a meal representing the places where we're from and uh, bring that to the table on that Sunday evening. And so we're really looking forward to that. Um, and so that's a lot of information to share um, with you. But right now, I just want you guys to welcome to the stage um, to teach today. Albert, he's one of our elders, and I'm excited about how he's, God's led him to instruct us through this morning. So, Albert. Thank you. <clears throat> Good morning. I want to get us started with some reflection before we dive into this passage, because our passage of scripture this morning hits pretty hard if you're listening. Um, and so um, before we read our scripture, I, I want to ask a couple of questions. And the first is, why are you here this morning? I really want us to take a minute and think about that. Why are you here today, in this room, this morning. We don't need to answer it out loud, but I want you to think about it for yourself because it's important and it's going to play into what we are learning from Jesus this morning. Why are you here this morning? Do you believe that Jesus was God's son? Yeah. Why not? Some of us say yes, but some of us in this room probably don't. Why or why not? If you do, why? Why are you following him? John's letter, his book, whatever you want to call it, sets out to accomplish a very specific goal. He communicates that to us multiple times in the book. But he believes that if we will believe in Jesus, that if we will trust that he was God incarnate, God's son here on earth, that we can find life in that. And this morning, I want us to just stop and really think about whether we believe that or not. Because some of us are desperate for life. This world hurts. And it's one thing after another. Earthquakes. Bushfires. Volcanoes. Snow. Landslides. Homelessness. 
selfishness. I don't know what you're facing this morning. Maybe you've suffered an extreme loss. Maybe you know someone that suffered an extreme loss. Today, we're bringing all of that with us. We carry it on our hearts. It's thrown on our shoulders. And whether we are willing to admit it or not, what we believe about Jesus determines how we handle what life throws at us. So this morning, as we get started, I want, I want to pray for us. Because I believe that Jesus is trying to speak to us, but we have a lot of things distracting us and making it incredibly difficult to hear. So will you guys bow your heads with me this morning as we um, just ask God to reveal himself to us? Heavenly Father, we are here. Physically, at least. And God, as we sit in this room, as we have a building to cover our heads and protect us from the elements, as we are safe, We know that there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people across this planet that are not. There are people that have lost their homes this week, that have lost loved ones. There are people that are being persecuted and attacked. There are people that are lonely. And Lord, I don't know where everyone in this room finds themselves, but you do. You know more about them than I ever could. You know about the people of Puerto Rico and the Philippines in Australia, and all over this world, Syria, Iran. You grieve over our pain and our suffering because you love us. This morning, God, as we open your scriptures, we're asking you to open our hearts as well, that we would hear your truth, that we would understand just how much you love us, that we would believe it, that we would embrace it. Because, God, I believe that you are trying to grant us freedom and hope, a peace that passes our understanding you want to give us joy despite our circumstances, strength to endure, to finish our races. But Lord, we can't do that if we don't listen to you. 
So as we open the scriptures this morning, as we hear from your son, Jesus, I pray that we would be among those that listen and not those that reject you. Help us to hear your truth, to let go of the lies that we have embraced. Because we need it. We can't do this on our own. We can't even understand you without your help. So God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Andrew, I'm going to ask you to come up here and read from uh, our, our scripture this morning. If you need a Bible, there are some available under the tables on either side of the room. Um, we'll be reading this morning from John chapter 5. <clears throat> Verses 19 through 47. Jesus gave them this answer, uh, and this is a response to the, uh, the Jewish leaders who had begun to persecute him, as we heard about last week. Uh, Jesus gave them this answer, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son give, gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who, have done that, those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. 
You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Andrew. <clears throat> All right. Are you guys ready for this? Um, you know, uh, Jesus is really an interesting character and a really, really dynamic teacher. Um, throughout the Gospels, Jesus often speaks in parables and in stories and sometimes it's really confusing, right? Uh, he says things that are almost in a code. Um, and if you're not listening and if you're not paying attention, uh, right over your head, right? I don't really think that's what's happening here. Um, Jesus is laying out some, like, points. And um, he's not leaving a lot up for interpretation, but yet, we still miss it. And that's exactly what's happening right now. So in chapter 5, at the beginning of the chapter last week, Rogerio talked about um, Jesus performing a miracle. Uh, he heals a man that had been sick for three decades or more. And he does it, unfortunately... Those are air quotes. On the Sabbath. And he audaciously tells the man to pick up his mat and go home. Um, for those of you that have been in church and know church history and know a little bit about the Sabbath and the Jewish law, there were only a certain number of steps you could take on the Sabbath. There were literally rules about the number of steps you were allowed to take because more than that was doing too much work and God had commanded Israel to rest. So what's happening here in this passage is that the Jewish leaders are frustrated that someone is doing things to undermine the norm the law, their culture, is being attacked. And in their mind, it's dangerous. So Jesus, despite the fact that he just healed a man, restored dignity and life, gave him a chance to be something different that these Jewish leaders and the law had not given 
They're angry with him. Because he was breaking the rules. And then when they confront him, he makes it worse. Because his response to them is that God was his father and he was doing his father's work. Now, to us in our culture, the idea of being someone's son or daughter is not quite as heavy as it was in Jewish culture at this time. If you are someone's son and that someone is important, you are equally as important as that someone. So what's happening here is Jesus is essentially saying, I'm God. Be quiet. Now, it's hard for me to make that alarming to us, right? Because we live in a culture, in a Western culture, that is highly influenced by the Bible and by Christianity's interpretation of the scriptures in particular. So the idea that Jesus is God's son, all right, that's acceptable for us. But to the Jewish people, God was set apart. He was beyond and above everything. And to make a claim that you are equal to the Most High God was arguably the most offensive and troublesome thing you could ever do. So it's not a surprise that the Jewish leaders at this point, they're not just getting angry, they're like flipping their lids. Like, this man is dangerous. We got to do something now, is what's happening. And from this point forward, those interactions with the Jewish leaders in particular grow more and more and more hostile. Not just with the Jewish leaders, but eventually with the crowds as well. And Jesus, at this point understands what's happening in the people's hearts. And so I believe he's very intentional about this is not a time for a story or a parable or confusion. I'm going to make this really clear. Right? And so he makes some claims at this point that he wants people to understand. We've already established he claims to be the son of God. What? He claims that the Father loves him. He says that he has seen what the Father is doing, and now he's going to be doing those things. He states that God the Father has handed over judgment to him, another offensive statement. And he says that by believing in him, you can escape that judgment and receive eternal life. Another offensive statement. So Jesus, at this point, he's like, I'm laying it all out on the line. And he takes some time to do that. I mean, these are 19 to 47. Who does math well? That's 22-ish. Is that right? 28, whatever. Uh, math is... 
Sometimes I can math. Um, 28 verses. John, who witnessed this moment, it was so seared into his mind. He's laying it all out. Jesus goes into depth about why he's the son of God. He goes into depth about how the father loves him. He goes into depth about what he has seen God doing. He calls himself an apprentice. Says that he learned from him and now he's doing those very things. He talks about judgment. And if you pay attention through John's letter or book or whatever you want to call it, you know that this this terminology of witness and of testimony and of evidence, it's present all through the book. Because John is trying to get us to understand that we've got to make a decision, just like a jury at a trial. Here is the case that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one. God's son, and I want you to see all of that evidence so that you can come to what I believe is the only conclusion, which is he's telling the truth. Now, Jesus, in this story, points to three categories where that evidence is present, not just here in this moment, but throughout Israel's history. And the first of those is witness testimony. So in this passage, he starts talking about John the Baptist. And for those of you that have been with us as we've gone through this this book, you know that there's a good deal about John the Baptist and John's gospel, because John the Baptist was a very important person not just in Jesus' story, but he was believed to be a prophet at this time. Society, despite the fact that John was uh, beheaded, had accepted his anointing from God, and they trusted what he had taught. They had paid attention, and they listened to almost everything he said. The one thing they were struggling with was when he said, I'm not important, he is. And Jesus is reminding them of that testimony from John the Baptist, saying, hey, this guy over here that you guys are still kind of celebrating, he pointed to me. Do you remember that? He said it over and over and over again. But not just him. There are others that have made that same claim. And not just those witnesses. Some of you were there at my baptism when God spoke and said, this is my son whom I love. Some of them may have been there and didn't hear it because their hearts were hardened and they weren't listening just like we do when we go into the scriptures and God is speaking to us, but we're not listening, and so we miss the truth. So we have this witness testimony. John's like, pay attention. Witnesses are important. You bring witnesses up in a trial because they have seen and they are proving. 
So the second category that John goes into are the scriptures and the prophets of old. He talks about how all of Israel's history, prophets and teachers, kings, priests, everything that had happened was pointing towards the Messiah. And if you pay attention, you can connect the dots. I am that Messiah. That's what Jesus is saying here. Think about these scriptures. You can go all the way back to Moses. And what Moses taught when he brought the law that you are now persecuting me over, the law itself points to me. Can't you see it? Jesus is begging his audience to pay attention. It's right here in front of you. The evidence is there. Some of you have these things memorized. You quote them to each other to impress each other. Listen to the words you're saying. The evidence is right here. And the third thing he points to, which is what got him into trouble in this moment, are the signs and wonders. At this point, Jesus has just performed his third miracle recorded in the book of John. He goes on to record a few more, um, and then at the end of the book says, he actually recorded, uh, performed so many of these signs, so many of these more miracles, so many people were healed, I don't have enough paper to write it all down. It's impossible, right? So he chooses seven because they were seven significant moments that Jesus also chose to reveal himself around. With almost every one of the miracles that John records, Jesus at some point very near or during says, I am, just like God himself had said, I am. So here in this moment, Jesus just healed the man at the pool. He'd already healed the official son without being with that, that person. He'd already turned water into wine. Miracles are happening that hundreds of people, thousands of people have seen and cannot deny. Hello, it's right in front of you. Can you see the evidence? Jesus, although it does in some ways sound like he's angry because he's frustrated with the religious leaders that are supposed to be pointing towards him, he's saying, it's right here. Can't you see it? And I think personally, there's an element of sorrow in Jesus' tone here. He's devastated by the fact that he has to make it so clear. Because for thousands of years, God had been speaking to Israel, trying to tell them these same truths, and they had missed it over and over and over again. And God had come back to them and forgiven them and healed them and brought them out of bondage and captivity and multiple times. He'd spoken through prophets. He'd spoken through kings. He'd done all of these things. 
He'd given them the law all because he loved them so much and he wanted them to know that there is a way that you as my people can represent me to this world and it will be a blessing not just to you and to your children but to all of my creation. So here we have Jesus the penultimate example of God's love, standing before the religious leaders, passionately telling them, wake up! Because it's almost over. And if you don't start listening, you're going to miss your chance. Because a judgment is coming and God has assigned me the very person you're rejecting and attacking with that responsibility. Everyone present, those who had been following Jesus, those who were just around, were hearing all about this. They had been watching they had been listening. They had been gossiping. They had all of the evidence before them, and they should have been able to make up their minds. For some, they already had. He's a liar. For some, they're on the fence. I don't know. Is this guy legit? I... For a very small few... They're starting to embrace it. Oh, he's really who he says he is. Wow. Hundreds of thousands of years of history, God has made this promise. We have been longing for a deliverer. He's here. I'm loved. We're loved. He doesn't have to be this way anymore. And their lives and their hearts are changing because they finally accepted the truth. But for those that were on the fence and for those that had hardened their hearts, they think Jesus is the one on trial. And I think it's really clever how Jesus kind of flips that on the lid here. He's like, you guys are saying this, and so I'm going to defend myself. But in the midst of this eloquent explanation of why he is who he says he is, he's essentially saying, I'm not the one being judged here. You are. But they didn't know the God they professed to believe in. They didn't know his voice. They didn't trust him. They haven't heard from him. And Jesus' words and God's word that they had memorized didn't actually have a place in their hearts. It was a show. It was a way for them to establish authority or to gain power 
or to manipulate their circumstances or to accomplish a task or to look good in front of other people. Religion and God himself had become nothing but a selfish way of getting what they wanted. And I think John, at the time of this writing, knows that this has been happening for thousands of years in Israel's history. It's probably not going to change. And here we are 2,000 years later, and it still hasn't changed. All across this globe, humans use religion just as much as they use politics for their own selfish gain. It has nothing to do with God. We don't know him. It's about control and power and my selfish desires and greed. It's about getting what I want and being comfortable no matter what that means for you. John's worried about that. We should be worried about that. Because there's not a lot of room in Jesus' teaching for that kind of selfishness. Jesus is begging us to listen because the jury's out. When Jesus died on the cross, which hasn't happened yet in this story, but it's coming, and Jesus knows it's coming, the case was closed. Every bit of evidence necessary to prove that God was who he said he was, that Jesus was who he says he was, had been presented, and the verdict was in. But we still think God's on trial. And we still think Jesus is the one that has to prove he is who he says he is. It's not, friends. We're on trial. Whether we believe the truth or we embrace lies. And Jesus at this moment is looking at a crowd of angry religious leaders saying, wake up. You're getting it wrong. Can't you see? We need to wrestle with this today. Because it's not just natural disasters causing suffering in this world. What are we doing with Jesus? Are we among those who listen? Are we in the crowd with the religious leaders, dangerously close to screaming, crucify him? I love the diversity in our church body. I love the fact that we have teachers and doctors and scientists and artists and coffee makers and moms and dads 
We have old, we have young, we have people from all over this globe. I believe that's what the church is supposed to be. And I also believe that no matter what it is that God has placed in front of you that you're supposed to be chasing, that you have been called into, that there is a purpose there, that God is at work there, and he's asking for you to be his apprentice because God is working in politics. God is working in science and in history and in finance and in social issues and in theology. All of the things we can study and learn and master and do and be while we're here on earth, God is in those things. And what our calling is supposed to be is saying, God, I see you at work here. I want to be your apprentice. I want to observe you and to learn from you and to follow you and to mimic you so that one day you will put me in a position like you did with Jesus where I can step out with power and authority and say, I am here doing the will of my Father in heaven just as he did. And miraculous and powerful things will happen because the Spirit of God is flowing through us the way it's supposed to be. But just like for those in Jesus' time, it's very easy for us to read the right book but to read it in the wrong way. Human history is full of examples of people in God's name waving the truth in this library as a weapon of destruction and harm and selfishness and pain. Because they weren't listening to Jesus' voice. And it's so easy for us to read about the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the Sadducees and the whoever in the scriptures as these villains. How could they miss it? Meanwhile, we do the same thing. We decide that I'm more important than you are. And we use God's truth violently. following Jesus a show for you? Is it a selfish means to accomplish a goal or to gain power or to maintain control? 
Are you actually listening? I don't always. Let's be honest, right? I'm sure at some point when I stand before God and he lays out my timeline, my life in front of me, there are going to be a lot of embarrassing moments. Not just because I sinned, but if I'm honest with you, church, there are going to be times where I thought I had it right. I thought it was a moment that I could say, aren't you proud of me, God? He's going to be like, ooh, I'm sorry. You missed it. You weren't listening. Because there's times I know that I've looked at someone and judged them because they weren't following the law that I had been raised on. I grew up in the church. I'm thankful that I have a life story um, that went like it did. But I definitely judged people and still do. Because they weren't being obedient to God. So this week and last week and all of the other times, I have to avoid the temptation to see the characters in God's story as villains. And I have to remind myself, had I been here at this time, it's highly likely I would have been among the religious leaders. The odds are I would have been in that crowd shouting, crucify him. Because culturally, he was breaking the rules. So at the beginning of our talk this morning, I asked you, do you believe in Jesus? And some of you this morning, I hope you've heard the truth. Jesus was real. And his claims to be God are supported by mountains of evidence. And if you don't believe that yet, please, please, please talk to someone about it. Whether that's me or your friend that brought you or your growth community leader, whoever. But if you do, if you're here because you claim the name of Jesus and you profess to believe in him, Friends, I am asking you to join me this morning in some introspection, asking, am I guilty of the very things the leaders in this passage were doing? Rejecting what Jesus is trying to tell me because it doesn't fit into my narrative of how this world should work. So before we take communion this morning, 
um, as the band comes up, and I didn't warn you guys of this, but if you could just play for a few minutes before you start singing, I want all of us to take some time and reflect on where we are and which characters in this story we represent. Are you someone that doesn't know Jesus that is hearing this revelation for a first or second or third time and light bulbs are going off and you're saying, yes, I see this truth. I'm listening. Are you someone that has heard it so many times that your heart is beginning to harden and you are growing farther and farther away from the truth? Or are you someone like the religious leaders that thinks you have it all figured out, that think you know right from wrong, that think you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, and Jesus is waving his hands in front of you saying, no, 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 no. I need you to listen to my truth because I have a better way. And it's all here if you just trust me. The sacrament of communion is an incredible moment for us as Christians to acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is. To remind ourselves that he was here on this earth, that he broke his body for us, that he bled on our behalf so that we might have freedom, so that we might understand, so that we might be what God made us to be. And we get the privilege of saying, I trust you, God. I will join you in your work each and every week. So this morning, I want all of you to think about where you are this morning because that table is significant. And it's not something we should take lightly. We should not stand before God and partake in this reminder if we don't mean it. But friends, if we mean it, the power of the living God can fill you. There's nothing we can do to push that away. He can heal us. He can restore us. He can give us purpose and value. He can help us to be whatever it is he made us to be. He can fix our mistakes. He can set us free. He can give us joy and life. And that's what we're doing when we take this table. We're saying, Jesus, thank you, because through your sacrifice, I am whole. So will you join with me this morning as we pray, as we reflect, as we find ourselves wherever we are. And friends, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to trust that Jesus is who he says he is.
He'll do the rest. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We don't deserve you. Thank you, Jesus, for your patience, for your gentleness, for your love, for your mercy. Thank you for your reminders. Thank you for how you chase us, that you don't leave us, that you don't abandon us, that you don't let go. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice, for your boldness, for your confidence. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to listen. God, forgive us for not listening. May we hear your truth. May we know right from wrong. May we embrace it. May we trust it. May it guide our lives and our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us a second and third and fourth and 100th chance. Spirit, I know you are at work in this room because you have promised us that when we gather in your name, you are among us, and I ask you to speak to our hearts. For my friends that are hurting, I ask that you would heal them. For those in this room that need to know your voice, speak louder, Lord, please. May we be a community of people that get it right because we trust you, because we've listened. May our light shine like John the Baptist. May we point a way towards you. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray.